10 years. It's a long time. I was 23 when we started. It's surprising. Now I'm 33. That's not true. I'm 44. The Lord has been so good to us, though, hasn't he? It really has been 10 years of grace. And whether you've been here you know, for two years or 10 years, I trust you've experienced that. Psalm 118, verse 23, says, This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so it is. Everything that you've seen on that screen, and there are thousands and thousands of photos we could use beyond that, marriages that have taken place in this church, healings that have taken place in this church, group activities, youth nights, young adults, the list could go on. The Lord has shown us mercy and grace again and again and again. You know, Paul once wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 9. He says, how can we thank God enough for you? And I want you to know, for me personally and Brendan and Patrick alike, that's how we feel about you. When we gather on a Wednesday to pray, our disposition is, Lord, how can we thank God enough for them? It's like Paul is asking the question, how on earth do I do this? And that's the way I can feel about you as well. How can we thank God enough for you? Your love for the word, your love for Jesus, your love for the gospel and knowing it, applying it and proclaiming it, your love for us, your love for his local church. It is a privilege to be your pastor, and as if I, if I had known all that the Lord would do in the last 10 years, I would have come all over again because it has been a joy to lead you and it continues to be. I wanted to mark this special day with a special message. And so I called this message Sovereign Grace Church, a Godward story. Now, why don't I pray and then we'll get into the, the word together. Lord, we do thank you for the last 10 years. You have been so, so good to us. Lord, you promise us in your word that your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, and we've experienced that. We've been chased down by it again and again and again. But that doesn't mean that it's always been easy. I I can think of many times in the last 10 years where it has been very hard. But you have been so kind to us. You have kept us with sustaining grace. Your mercy has come forth each and every day in our church life. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, did you bless then the preaching of your word this morning? Lord, did you gather us afresh around the church and help us see that this is your story? And would it all be for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it was 20 years ago now that I first heard the message, Grace and the Adventure of Leadership, from my friend, the founder of Sovereign Grace Churches Globally, C.J. Mahaney. And right at the start of the message, he highlights an article that he was reading in a magazine at the start of 1998 that highlights a couple of events from 1997. And when you hear the events, they do kind of get stuck in your mind, because now we're 20 years on and I still remember them. The first event then was that was recorded in the article was taken from a Minnesota newspaper and it told of a man who had jumped from a plane and his parachute did not open properly. If you're scared of heights, that is your worst nightmare. People say to me, do you not mind flying? It's like, no, I don't mind flying. It's crashing that I don't like the idea. Coming down from the sky, flying is totally fine. For this man, as he jumped from the plane, the parachute did not 
open properly. He was free-falling and the parachute did not open. For this guy, that wasn't just a thought or a nightmare. It was a painful reality. According to the reality of the event, it took him over a minute to fall 3,000 feet. For a minute, he is wondering what will happen to him when he hits the ground. He doesn't pass out. He's conscious that the whole time. And incredibly and miraculously, he survives. He still lived. I mean, people die over the smallest things. This dude falls a kilometer out the sky and survives. The second event is that is then recorded in the article was an incident in 1997. It took place in July 1997 in Cairo, Egypt. When a gentleman woke up in a morgue refrigerator after 12 hours of being in a coma. True story. This is what it says. In total darkness, he felt around and surprise, he discovered that he was resting among the dead. (laughs) Is that not a horrible thought? So he cried out for help and a paramedic opened the door who in turn collapsed in shock and died. It is hard to know how to react to that story, isn't it? You're like, (laughs) it's like, this is really awkward. I mean, thank the Lord he survived. The poor paramedic collapsed and died. I I don't know whether they just traded places or how this worked. I don't know. And the whole point of the article as you read it was how soon we forget. You know, for those two men, they will never forget 1997. When that word comes up for the centuries, they'll be like, oh, I remember 1997. This year will be emblazoned on their lives for the rest of their lives. But for the rest of us, 1997 tends to just fade into another year. For some of you, you might not have been alive then, but for those of you that are, I can't remember anything that really happened in 1997. For these men, they will never forget. For the rest of us, we forget, don't we? You know, in life, it is really easy to forget past events, is it not? It's really hard. When people say, oh, do you remember the time? And the older you get, the more you realize, no, I have no recollection of that time at all. And I'm not just talking about years ago. I'm talking about like two weeks ago. You know, it's like it's just gone from my memory. Somebody asked me just this week. They said, do you remember that couple that that became Christians right early on in the church? And they mentioned them. I'm like, I have no recollection of them at all. They're just completely gone from my brain. It's so sad, but it's like it's just vanished. I don't know what's happening to my brain. It is disintegrating by the week. You know, for all of us in life, it is so easy to forget past events. And in church life, it's just the same. It's so easy to forget dates and times and moments and happenings. And so praise God for small movies like that where we get to be reminded of and that happened and that happened and that happened. But we will inevitably forget them. And yet what I never want us to forget is the reality of just how incredible the local church is as biblically defined. See, when we forget... How incredible the local church is as biblically defined. We will find ourselves unamazed and unaffected and unenthused. You're never passionate about something that you take for granted. And when we take our eyes off the prize, what the Bible teaches us about the local church, it'll be something that you're like, yeah, it's kind of good. It's okay. You know, COVID at the minute, it's a bit different, three services. We will completely forget just what the local church is as biblically defined. 
And when you pause and you discover what the church is as biblically defined, it is then that you find yourself amazed and grateful and enthused and quite frankly, just astounded that you get to be a part of it at all. When you see it from God's perspective. Because when you see the church from God's perspective, you cannot help but be amazed. And so this morning I want to answer the question, what really is so amazing about the church? What is it about the local church, as biblically defined, that really does, as C.H. Spurgeon calls it, make the church the dearest place on earth? What is it about the church that should make us so, so grateful that we're even a part of it at all? And there's four things I want to draw to your attention today as we celebrate our anniversary together. What is it that is so amazing about the church? Well, number one, it's the reality that together we're a temple. That as we stand side by side for the glory of the Lord, we are a temple. You know, this is a reality that is preached about quite a lot in the New Testament. But one of the clearest places is in Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. This is what we read. Paul says, so then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. His whole point then is you're no longer strangers and aliens. That's who you were. That's who you used to be outside of Christ. But not anymore. Now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And listen, you are being built together into a temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is a profound reality. And if you had been a Jew 2,000 years ago hearing that, you would have been like, what? For those early Christians, for those early Jews in particular, to hear that we were being built together into a temple, that is a staggering reality. Because the temple, all the way through the Old Testament, is the place where the people of God would go to meet with God. The temple, the physical building, which is all they had known prior to this moment. It would be the venue where they would meet with God and encounter Him and worship Him and make sacrifices to Him. It would be the center of all worship for the entire nation, this physical temple. And at the pinnacle of everything that goes on in the temple, once a year, the great high priest would get to go into the Holy of Holies beyond the curtain. He'd make a sacrifice for himself and for the people of God, and they would make right with God. Once a year, that great high priest would get to go in and encounter God in his fullness. That's the way it was for hundreds of years. You remember when preached through Exodus, started in the tabernacle, tabernacle becomes the temple, the temple's always where it's at. It's where people worship the Lord. And that's the way it was with just one great high priest going in once a year for hundreds of years until the coming of the king. When Jesus Christ came, everything changed. Because as he hung on a cross and cried out, it is finished, and then breathed his last, the curtain of the temple that always separated man from God tore from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, which could be a man doing it, but from top to bottom, signifying that this is God's work. 
The work of Jesus Christ is now done. And as we put our faith in Him, boldly you may approach God in His fullness and manifest glory. We're no longer cut off from Him. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we can now approach Him. It's a staggering reality. And all this revolved around the temple. For hundreds of years, the temple is where it was at. Hugely symbolic. Symbolic as God's house. Symbolic as a moving picture of our way back to God and symbolic as the center of all worship. And now God's telling them, listen, that temple, it don't mean nothing anymore. Because now I'm building a new temple. And I'm not building it with stones. I'm building it with people all across the world. I'm putting together living stones from different tribes and languages and nations and I'm putting together side by side and it is in that temple that I will dwell. It's in that temple that I will meet with you. It's staggering. The local church isn't just somewhere we hang out on Sundays. It's a temple where God will meet with us. See, that has and always has had great implications. Donald Whitney, in his wonderful book, Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church, says this about one of those implications. He says, For God will manifest his presence to you in congregational worship in ways you can never know in the midst of most glorious secret worship. And that's because you are not only a temple of God as an individual, but as the Bible says, and far more often, Christians collectively are God's temple. For God manifests his presence in different ways to the living stones of his temple when they are gathered than he does when they are apart. It's so true. Jesus himself says in Matthew 18, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. It's not like we can't encounter God by ourselves. We can, right? But what he's saying is, but there's something really different when you gather. There's something really different going on when you gather in my name. Why? Because when you gather in my name, you're a temple in that moment, a place where God dwells through the Holy Spirit. Different things will take place when you gather than they do when you are by yourself. It's why for me, I hate online church. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. How can you be online church? So I'm by myself, but it's church. Yeah, it can't exist. You're just by yourself. It's when you gather, that's what church means, called out to gather. It's when we gather that we are the church. And when we are the church as a temple, different things happen. And I thank God that over the last 10 10 years, that's been our experience, hasn't it? Times of singing. Do you remember that? Singing. When we weren't spraying all over each other, it was just singing. But times when we're singing and you just think, you know, my heart is going to burst in a moment because God is so amazing. And the Holy Spirit is doing what only he can do and just brings us alive through song. Times of testimony where people are sharing testimonies and you, you could just hear a pin drop because you're aware the Spirit's on the move. And your lives are being affected. You know, just in our last service, The coyote got up and he sort of took over the service. I really enjoyed it. And he just said, I'm really sorry for taking over. And then just carried on. It was great. (laughs) But it was wonderful. And he's just sharing his story of how God had brought him here and what the Lord had done. But actually the spirit was at work as he was talking. 
It was so encouraging. Times when we're here in prophecy and we're just aware God who is above and beyond us in every way right now is super imminent. He's talking to that person and you can sense it. It's not just, it's an experience as well. Something is happening in this moment in a way that it affects you. Or messages. You know, I was working out this week. I've had the privilege of preaching over 500 times here now in Sydney. The Lord works through those messages, doesn't he? Not because it's me. It's because it's this. This word comes alive in our hearts and our minds. And it changes our lives. It transforms our lives. We can read it when we're by ourselves, and we should. It is a glorious thing to do. But it is different when a preacher gets up and uses their gift towards the Lord, and we all experience it together. Something different happened. Why? Because together we're a temple. It's when we sit side by side, where we stand together for the glory of the Lord. The Lord does something different. How precious that is. That's why for me, as soon as COVID came and we were aware that we can now gather at least as 100, I'm like, we are getting back as soon as we can. Because when we gather, the Lord does something different. What is so amazing about the church? Well, number one, it's the reality that together we're a temple being built together by many different stones as a dwelling place for God. But that's not all. Number two, it's the reality that together we're a family. And I love that. Something that Bernice was talking about when she was at the mic, talking about small groups. But if you were perceptive to what she's saying, she's not just talking about small groups, she's talking about family. I love that. It's the way God designed it to be. You know, Mark chapter 3, Jesus' mom and his brothers come looking for him. And they come looking for him because they feel bad for him. They clearly think he's gone crazy. As in, oh my goodness, we need to find him. Let's bring him back to the house. Time to the bed or something. I don't know what's going on because he's losing his marbles. That was their concern. So they seek to try and find Jesus. And they find him. He's in a house and there's a crowd in the house, which is always what happens when Jesus is around. And this is what happens. We read in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, literally sent word to him, and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And so they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He was instituting something really different in this moment. It's not that he didn't love his biological mom and his brothers and sisters. That's not the point. What he's saying is, listen, all those who put their faith in me as your Lord and Savior will all be family now. Different mothers, different dads, different brothers, different sisters. God is building us together. And the truth is, my friends, as family and as a local church, we need each other so, so much, do we not? See, it may not have escaped your attention. It certainly has not escaped mine. That The people that God has chosen and pulled into his family and church, we are really not that great. Have you noticed that? We are not some type of perfect, impressive super Christians that God looked down through time and went, wow. I've just got to have them. Look at them. They can do so many things. That's not what happened. Take a look around. Just look around. 
at best average, aren't we? At best, just feel released in that. As I say that, because we always try and compete, just released. We're at best average. In reality, we're weak. You read your Bibles, God chose the weak. More often than not, we have profound deficiencies, profound needs. We are people with weaknesses and deficiencies and challenges, and as such, by divine design, God not only saves us, he then puts us together in family with this caveat over our lives. You need them more than you know. He's knitted us together as family. Reuben Welsh says it this way. He says, of course, we believe in the total adequacy of Jesus Christ to meet the total need of the total person. But we must remember this also. He saves into the context of the community for faith. So it's never Jesus and me, but always Jesus and we. I love that. God didn't design it that we'd become Christians and then trot off as lone rangers for Jesus. I'm independent. There ain't none of them in the Bible. It's got you becoming Christians and then knitted together in family, understanding they need you and you need them. That's why the Bible talks so much about one another. So we're called by God to love one another and be joined to one another, to honor one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, care for one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, build one another up, pray for one another, spur one another on. And the list goes on and on. There are over 50 times in the Bible where you read sentence after sentence after sentence as the importance of doing life together. We're even called in the Bible to be devoted to one another. You know what that sounds like to me? Family. That's what that sounds like. It's the family member that sticks closer even than a brother because they realize in Christ they're related. And for the last 10 years in Sovereign Grace Church, that's what we've experienced, isn't it? We really have done family together. And I love that. I absolutely love it. Just this week in gospel community, Ollie was leading us in giving thanks um, for each other and for different things. And, and it was just another one of those moments where I could have just sat there all night as you're just hearing people sharing of what the Lord has done in them. And what they're grateful for. And each and every time as I sat there and just listened, I'm like, you know what? This is family. This is beautiful. People are really bothered about each other. And they care for one another. We could have filled a whole day today with thanksgiving. Honestly, we could have just gone one after one to the mic. And what you find is you, you share something and then you sit down and somebody says something. And you think, oh yeah, I need to share more. Your, your mind would start to fill more and more. But just how good the Lord has been to us as a local church. And for me personally, I simply don't know where I would be without Sovereign Grace Church being family. Not just theologically, but functionally. That's been my experience for the last 10 years. And I don't know what type of person I would be. I don't know where I'd be without that. Moments in the last 10 years when I've been struggling with sin. I need Jesus, but I need somebody to be Jesus to me, to care for me and be bothered about me and encourage me and pray for me and hold me accountable. You know, I, I love being your pastor, but fundamentally, I'm exactly the same as you. 
So I need people exactly the same as you. I speak to too many pastors, particularly in Australia, that have no one. And they're encouraged not to make friends with people in their church. And I sit there and think, I have no similarity to you at all. This is my family. I thank God for times where I've been struggling with sin and had faithful brothers and sisters helping me. I thank God for times where I've been struggling with life and experienced the same thing. Times where I've needed Jesus, but I've needed somebody to be Jesus to me. When I've been sad or discouraged or just going through a tough time, you need the Lord, but you need somebody to be Jesus to you in that moment. Thank you so much for being our family. You know, the hardest thing in moving to Australia by quite a long way was sacrificing family. We both come from actually very large, tight families for both Emma and I. And we knew in coming, the biggest consequence would be that our children, and for us, we would not grow up or be around family. They wouldn't grow up around grandparents. They wouldn't have aunties and uncles. We would miss weddings. We would miss birthdays. We'd miss funerals. And we have. We have missed them all. But I thank God that in the midst of that, we were able to explain to three children who at the time were four, six, and eight, that this is your family now. They're here. Where are your cousins? They're here. Where are your aunties and uncles? They're here. Where are your grandparents? They're here. This is our family. I thank God for that. I thank God that you have been our family for the last 10 years and continue to be. To be honest, I don't know how to do church any other way. Because that is the church I see in the Bible. Brothers and sisters that stick closer than a brother. The church is amazing, not only because it's a temple. The church is also amazing because it truly is a family. But that's not all. It's also amazing because together we are a body. And not only any body, we are indeed the body of Christ. We have a mission to do as a local church, do we not? We may be displaced a little at the moment. We may have to do COVID-friendly mission. But mission, nonetheless, it's not like God said, oh my goodness, COVID, we should probably just do nothing for two years, just rest. I don't know, look out the window, just wish the time away. No, God has not changed in his mission at all. He's still at work. We're just going to have eyes to see it. And without doubt, we are called to be used by God in that mission as the body of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it talks about, Paul talks about what the Father has done for the Son. And so we read, and he, meaning the Father, put all things under his, meaning the Son, his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Listen, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's staggering. As a church, we have a head. That head is not me. That would not be very special. That head is Jesus. He's the one that gives us sight and direction and vision and energy. He's the head over all things, including the church. But make no mistake, as a church, we are his body. 
a local expression of Jesus Christ walking around in the flesh. Over many years, I've heard people say, you know, if only Jesus was in the earth today, we'd be okay. Uh, he is. Where? In his body. Look around. It's the church. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are his hands and feet. Sadly, the church doesn't always recognize that, so it doesn't do much with it. But when you see it for what it is, it becomes a staggering reality. We are the living and breathing body of Christ in the flesh right here in the earth. John Piper says it this way. He says, the body of Jesus is the church. So if you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. And if you show love and affection to the church, you show love and affection to Jesus. For the church is his body. It is the physical form of his presence on earth. Touch the church. And you touch the very body of Christ. For Jesus Christ is still very present in the world today. In his body. Is that not staggering to you? What we have going on here is not a service. It is a body. This is the body of Christ gathering right here and right now. We all have different gifts and abilities. That's wonderful. But when you separate those different gifts and abilities out from the body, it is not so impressive, is it? It'd be like a finger saying, check me out. Look at me. I mean, I can point. I can pick. I can bite. I can do anything. So what am I going to be? I'm just going to be a finger for Jesus. Well, congratulations. I mean, it's not going to be that impressive. That finger only works when it's connected to a hand and an arm and a body with legs. When we all stand together, it's incredible what you can do for the Lord. But when you're a finger for Jesus by yourself, it's not that impressive. The Lord has given us different gifts and abilities and he has put us together for the glory of the Lord. And then he's given us a mission and the mission isn't complicated. It is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You want to know what God wants you to do with your life? He tells you right there what he wants you to do with your life. Make a difference. Go and make disciples. Join a body, play your part, and together go and make disciples of all nations. I remember a man called Arthur Wallace, who was just one of the heroes of my sort of generation. He died when I was still a kid, but he was one of those guys that was really influential. And at a conference he once was preaching to a younger generation, and he said, listen, find out what God is doing in your generation and then give your life to it. And when you're like 18 and 19, you're like, oh, yes, yes, what is it? Well, guess what it is? It's the church. It's always been the church. Study your Bible, study history. What is at the center of God's plan for the world? What is at the center of God's plan for redemption? The local church. It always has been. It is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is seen in the heavenly places. It is through the church that the mission goes forward. It is through planting churches, bodies, temples, families, that unbelievers see something of God and then want to choose him and put their faith in him as your Lord and Savior. It's the church. It always has been. Society and even Christianity sometimes tries to change our perspective on that, but just examine scripture, it's the church. How kind that the Lord then has positioned us to be in a church with our gift and to make a difference. I'm so grateful that we get to do this together. I really am. Can you imagine how hard it would be if when you became a Christian, God said, good, well done. Here's your briefcase and here's your car keys. Off you go. Okay, what am I doing? 
okay, I've got to baptize people and win the nations. Um, I don't. Well, okay, I better get going. Where am I going? I don't know. I'll get to get. It'd be really hard. He doesn't do that. He says, okay, now let's join bodies where we have different parts to play with pastors and teachers and elders that will help you. And then together we stand and together we go on mission. Oh, thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you for putting us with people. And I thank God for the last 10 years. God has been so kind to us in our mission, hasn't he? We have seen many people saved into sovereign grace church or many people saved into the kingdom of God. Sometimes they've ended up here, sometimes they haven't. But for the last 10 years, we've experienced God saving people. Some of you, 10 years ago, did not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were running away from him, dead in your transgressions and sins. And now you look on and realize, Jesus changed my life. We've also seen many people come to restoring faith in him. People who 10 years ago knew God, at least distantly, but wasn't going to church, weren't that interested in the Lord, sometimes deliberately, sometimes because they got distracted, and yet now worship him as Lord and Savior in the context of our church with all his mind. We shouldn't forget that. Sometimes we get used to people just being so on fire for Jesus, and yet when we wind the clock back, we realize they didn't start there. Let's rejoice in that journey and enjoy that journey with them. Even recently, I think of folk like Jenny Pym, and in the 4 p.m. service just a few weeks ago, she came forward to the Word, she shared from, from the Bible, and then just thanked the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, you've done something, like, massive here. Because I knew Jenny like a year ago, and she wasn't going to be given a word of the mind. And you think, this is just amazing. It's all the Lord's doing. Think of people like Nick and India Bede, who we got to baptize not that long ago. Three years ago, even. Not pursuing the Lord, no. Kind of around, but not pursuing the Lord. And yet a few months ago, Emma and I had the privilege of doing their marriage prep for them. And one of the it was just a, one of the most special times because they had clearly just not only read the stuff, but they had digested the stuff. And then Nick is like, okay, so so if I'm going to lay my life down for India. How, how would I do that, do you think? And what would that look like? And help me. And you're like, oh, Lord, you've done a work. You've done a work in this couple's life. Think of folk like Stephen and Jeanette Chua. We had the privilege of, not that long ago, sitting just outside that door at a table as they gave their lives to the Lord. And as a pastoral team, we got to pray for them and just watching both Stephen and Jeanette with tears coming down their cheeks. My friends, the Lord has been so good to us, so kind to us. Sometimes our lives go so quickly that we fail to stop enough to pay attention. But when you do pause and pay attention, you realize, oh my. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just send me off with a briefcase out into the world to do my thing. You knitted me together in a family where we get to do this together. The third thing that it is so amazing about the church is the reality that together we're a body. And then finally, number four, the reality that together we're a bride. We're a bride. You know, I'm aware that for some of our macho men, this is a bit of a confrontation. I don't think I want to be a bride. Well, brothers, get over it. You're a bride. We all are. And it's profound when you start to realize that you're a bride. 
In Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 25, this is what we read. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then he says this, Husbands, love your wives. Hear the illustration then of how, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's beautiful. Because what we see in view right there is Calvary. He's pointing us to the cross. You want to know how much Jesus loves the church? How much he loves his bride? Calvary is how much he loves his bride. He so loves his bride that he lays his life down for her. You know, one of the privileges of pastoral ministry, certainly for me, has been conducting weddings. They're always a privilege. You know, you're the closest person to the bride and the groom as they stand there, and that obviously has many privileges to it. And the highlight for me, more or less in any wedding, maybe it's just the way I'm wired, but it is looking at the groom's face when the bride's coming down towards him. I love that. And I, I watch you all do it as well. So everybody's looking, oh, the bride's coming, the bride's coming. And then she's come and people are like, what's he, what's he doing? I'm looking at him, looking at the groom. And for me, I love it because I get to stand right by him. And over the last 10 years, one special memory was Nick Gordon. Some of you may have been at that wedding, some of you not. But Nick Gordon... Well, a towel would not have sustained his tears in that moment. It was dramatic. And it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. I'll never forget it. I went out the front and Vonnie pulled up in the car and uh, prayed with her and prayed with the bridesmaids and just tried to slow them down on the most exhilarating day of her life and point attention. Don't let it go past so quickly that you miss this is all the Lord's doing. And then I walked down and I asked the congregation to be upstanding because the bride's arrived. And I could see Nick is already getting a bit edgy by this point. The, the eyes, he must have had something in it. I'm not sure what was going on. So he stands up and everybody stands up. And then the bridesmaids come in and they come down. And then as soon as Vonnie comes around the corner, Nick just loses it. And he is crying. And it was beautiful. Because here's what I thought about that moment, not just for Nick, but for every groom as you see that reaction time and time again. What is written on that groom's face in that moment is only a dim reflection of how Christ feels about his bride, the church. It's amazing. How does Jesus feel about Sovereign Grace Church, Sydney? He loves her with all his heart, which is why he lays life down for her. John Stott says it this way in his Ephesians commentary. He says, what stands out in Paul's development of this theme of the church as a bride is the sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for her. He chose her from eternity past. He set his affections upon her. And then buying her back from sin, he gently sanctifies and cleanses her, preparing her for himself. 
His love for his bride is not flighty. It's not given to whim. It is zealous and it is unchanging. Isn't that beautiful? How does Jesus feel about the church, his bride? He zealously and passionately loves her with a love which is unchanging in any way. No wonder then, Mr. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the church to me, imperfect though it is, is the dearest place on earth to me. Because he knew this church is not just a temple and a family, it's a bride. This is the bride of Christ that he died for. And if Christ is so passionate about the church that he gave his life up for her, then as I seek to imitate him, how can I not be passionate about her as well? If I really want to imitate Jesus Christ, I want to feel about the church the way he feels about the church. And how can I not feel that when I realize he gave his life for her? This family, this temple, this body, this bride. Mr. Stott continues, he says, On earth, the bride is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. And so it is. But one day she'll be seen for what she is. Nothing less than the bride of Christ. Free from spots, wrinkles and any other disfigurement. Holy and without blemish. Beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work. The bride doesn't make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. And my friends, what a day that will be, don't you think? When he gathers us all up as a local church and then joins us with other local churches across the world. And he comes back to take us home as his bride. You know, it's so easy in life to forget past events. In truth, it's so easy to forget even present events. But church, I don't want you to for a moment to forget the reality of just how incredible church is as biblically defined. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. And I think in COVID, we're even more vulnerable to just getting a bit like spread out and a bit like, what's even going on here? What we're doing? Well, what we're doing is always what we've always been doing. Together, we are a temple being built together by God through the Holy Spirit as a place where he will dwell. Together, we're a family. Nothing's changed in that. Brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers who stand together for the glory of the Lord and care for one another. Together we're a body. We've been given a mission, the greatest mission ever told. And all of you, all of your names have been enlisted. You're on the team to serve the Lord in that way. And together we're a bride. A bride which even now, even in COVID, he's busy cleaning blemishes, cleaning spots, and preparing us for his return. And so each and every day then, And for each and every one of us, may the local church, imperfect though it is, always be the dearest place on earth to us. Isn't it astounding that we even get to be a part? You know, I look forward to the day, in the right sense, when I'm not a pastor anymore. Because what you'll discover is there'll be some old guy that will probably be fatter, that'll be sitting at the back, I trust encouraging a pastoral team that will replace him. And I'll just love what the Lord has done. 
because this is it. Find out what God is doing in your generation and give your life to it. He's building the church. May we play our part. Let's pray. Well, Lord, how can we thank you enough for 10 years? 10 years of abounding grace. Lord, without doubt, this is all you're doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. Lord, at best we're average, but in reality we're weak. Our Lord, wouldn't it be just like you then to choose people like us to manifest your greatness through them? Because it's obvious they couldn't do that by themselves. But that just makes room for your glory. So Lord, we do glorify you. And we do thank you. We thank you for your grace and mercy that has chased us down for the last 10 years. And Lord, I thank you that our story is not done. Pages are still turning. With many more to be written. And we thank you that your name will be on them all. In Jesus' name. Amen.